You know, for me, when it comes to God, I, I, I sometimes catch myself, and maybe you can relate to this. Sometimes I catch myself wondering, God, if you would just do something, if you would just do something big, if you would just do something to prove yourself, something that, that I could see, and then, then maybe I would believe. Maybe I would believe more or have more faith. God, if you could just, if you could just do something. And, and sometimes I, I wonder if, if God's kind of sitting on, on the other side, you know, of the conversation saying, okay, like, like what? Like, it, it, it may, maybe it wasn't, uh, maybe if I created you a, a rock that was big enough for you to live on, um, you know, and get everything you need out of it, that it would sustain life and it would stand in stark contrast to all of the other floating rocks in the universe. Maybe, maybe that would be enough. Oh, oh wait a second. I've already done that. Right. Or, or, or <clears throat> you know, and we would say, no, 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 God, you know, something really amazing. Okay, how about this? How about I create a 576 megapixel camera and, and I give you two of them and I, and I put them on the front of your head and I connect them to a 3000 gigahertz computer with enough memory to pass down knowledge from generation to generation to generation. Oh wait, no, I, I've already done that too. How about this little trick? How about by, by the time Jim finishes speaking this sentence, over 50,000 cells in your body are going to die and replace themselves before I even finish the sentence. And it does all of this on its own with no conscious effort on your part. Like this kind of stuff is going on in our bodies all the time. Well, what if I did something like that? It, still, I, I think our response oftentimes is like this. No, 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 no. What we want you to do, God, is something truly spectacular, like, like a miraculous healing. That would be it, God. If you would just do that, if you could, if you would just do that, it would prove to me that you are who you said you, you were. And I, I think if, if God were here today, God would say, see, this is amazing. You know, that, that 3000 gigahertz computer I created in your, in your head, your, your brain. You see, I, I gave you that so that you would learn to heal other people. I, I created a bunch of self healers. As a matter of fact, if, if people from 2000 years ago were to come in, into our hospitals today, they would think our doctors are like gods. I just thought that'd be interesting for you to hear today. For all of our medical workers out there, we appreciate you. For all of our doctors and nurses, we, we appreciate you. And during this time, we are praying for you. You are amazing, and I thank God for you. We're, we're in part five of a series uh, called John, right? It's, or rather, it's called uh, The Bystander. Bystander. Uh, the subtitle is John and uh, the Rabbi from Nazareth. And this whole idea is that, that we're going to kind of learn from John as, as John engaged with Jesus while Jesus was on earth. We're going to learn from him. You get this idea that John as an old man is kind of giving us this story. He's writing his gospel so that every generation after him would know. And, and they would see, he kind of crafts his story around these events. And they would see these events. And these events would be signs. Not to just know what Jesus did, but to know who Jesus was so that we would react the same way he does. And how does he want us to react? He tells us at the end. He gives us his agenda at the end of his gospel. He says this. By the way, all, all these things that I've written, all of these signs that I've chosen, they were written that you might believe. I want you to respond to this and, and not go, oh, that's really interesting. I believe that Jesus, you know, he was just this interesting guy who did amazing things. John said, no, I, I, I wrote these so that you would believe that Jesus, and if you're Jewish, he's the Messiah. And if you're not Jewish, I wrote them so that you would believe that Jesus is uniquely the Son of God. And that by believing in him, by believing these things, that you would have life and that you'd have it in his name. He says, so my agenda <clears throat> is that. And I craft them around these amazing things that we're going to call signs. <clears throat> we're in part five. We're on the fifth sign today. If you have a paper Bible, 
these these signs come with headings, and this heading would be healing of a blind man. I'll catch up real quick. Jesus constantly did ministry in, in his time on earth uh, between Judea and Galilee. The, the the nation of Israel was like this really long or, or tall nation rather, there, and he would just go from north to south, north to south, north to south, from Galilee to Judea, Galilee to Judea, back and forth. <clears throat> Most of the time when he was in Judea or Jerusalem and he got close to the city and he was doing his ministry there, he would stir up a bunch of trouble because the religious leaders, the temple were there, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they thought that Jesus kind of operated in contrast to their their beliefs, to this this um, contract, this old covenant that God created with the nation of Israel. And, and although Jesus didn't ever really uh, do that at all, that was their assumption and they got... It kind of rolled through this this whole thing with John the Baptist doing this, and then Jesus comes along, so the religious leaders are on edge. Jesus would go down into Galilee, he'd stir up some trouble, and then he'd, or sorry, down to Judea, stir up some trouble, and then he'd take off back to Galilee. He'd go up to Galilee, he'd teach a little bit, he'd catch his breath, and he'd make his way down into Jerusalem. We're going to pick up with this fifth sign, as Jesus is again, once again, back in Jerusalem, and John tells us this. He says, as Jesus went along, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples, John being one of these disciples, they kind of asked him, hey, hey, Rabbi. And I'm sure at this point they whispered, so I'm going to get in close and whisper like they did. Hey, hey, Rabbi, you see that gentleman over there begging? He's here all the time. And we're, we're curious, Jesus, who sinned? Who sinned? What, was it this man or was it his parents? What's the reason he, he's blind? You see, they had this assumption in the first century that there was this cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. That if somebody was suffering, it's because they had, they had sinned. They had this, this belief that if a pregnant woman were to go into a pagan temple, that her unborn son or daughter would suffer because of the mother's sin of disobeying God and going into a pagan temple. Now, <clears throat> we're all aware that sometimes our behavior results in suffering. And we also know that sometimes we suffer because of other people's behavior. But when that's not the case, as it, it's, usually, it's usually obvious. And when it's not the case, it, it's pointed out, as Jesus points out uh, in this case. His answer is this. He said, neither this man nor his parents sin. Guys, you're going about this completely wrong. And then he says something that, that kind of creates a new category for them. And, and I think it might even create a new category for you. <clears throat> and um, I'm going to quote Jesus because this, this seems a little insensitive. So this isn't coming from me. This is coming from Jesus. Jesus says this. He said, but this happened. And Jesus teaches here as he does in, in other places during his ministry on earth. He, he teaches that, that, that pain and suffering can actually have a divine purpose. That, that perhaps pain and suffering always even have a purpose. Jesus said that, that pain and suffering, at least his pain and suffering, certainly had, had a purpose. This man's pain and suffering certainly had a purpose. And, and maybe, perhaps, your pain and suffering has a purpose as well. Yeah, he, we know now that it's a category. Jesus continues. He said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Or, or in other words, sometimes God chooses to display his power on the platform or the stage of human suffering. In fact, you've seen this. You probably have seen this in your life from, from, from maybe a family member who, who had this incredible faith. And they just b b believed and they had faith and nothing shook it no matter what came their way or what happened in their life. Perhaps you're experiencing this right now with, with this kind of mess going on in the world with, with COVID-19 and, and, and the, the anxiousness and, and the fear. But, but there are people you're connected. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a relative. Where it just seems like their faith cannot be shaken. That, that even though the world is shaken, their faith is not shaken. Like they have, they have something that, that you perhaps want and are looking for. You see, my guess is, is that we've all seen this. You've seen God demonstrate his power on the platform of human weakness and suffering. So Jesus, he turns to his audience 
And he says this, and they're focused on this blind man. They're kind of whispering about this. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, hey, guys, as, as long as it is day, and this is a little confusing for them, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And they're like, Jesus, what are you talking about? We were talking about this blind guy, and now you're talking about the night. He says, well, I am in this world. I am the light of the world. Or really, here's my point, and this is so powerful. This is the point of all of John's gospel. He would say, look, guys, my identity, who I truly am, will never be more apparent than it is right now. I am the light of the world, and while I am here, I will burn brighter than I will ever burn in history. Right now on planet Earth, I am the brightest. The, the light of the world is the brightest it will ever be. But when I leave, it's going to be dark. So while I'm here, watch me. Learn from me. Follow me. After saying this, Jesus does the strangest thing. He spits on the ground. And before they could say anything, he made some mud with his saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. Now, I don't know about you. We've heard this story before, but I wish I had more detail. Like, what exactly happened there? Did, did he ask the guy or was it like, hey, you know, John and James, grab him and hold him down. And he spits quick and makes mud and just kind of smears it in the man's face. Like, like what exactly did, did, how did this go down? This is just kind of incredible to me. However he did, we know that he makes mud from dirt and saliva and he puts it on the man's eyes. And then he tells the man something that, that I think he tells uh, all of us, all of our whole generation. He tells him to go. Walk away from me. Leave my presence. Go. And he says, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the blind man, and this is foreshadowing. This is John's whole point. This is why he chose this event. So the blind man walks by faith, not by, can, can you sit, finish that? Not by sight. Literally. He, he literally walked by faith, not by sight. Do you know what he did? He did what his heavenly father is inviting you to do. He chose to trust someone he couldn't see based on the rumors he had heard of that person. So the man went to the pool at Siloam. He did what Jesus had said. He washed his eyes. Suddenly he could see. And Where does he go? He goes home because that's what you do after a day. That's what you do, I guess, when you're healed. And you can finally see after being born blind. His neighbors, those who knew this guy, his neighbors, those who had formerly known them as the beggar, they're like, wait a minute, isn't this the same guy who used to sit in the same place and beg day after day, week after week, year after year? Some claimed that it was, but others said, no, no, that can't be him. It just looks like him. That's not really him. And then the blind man speaks up and he says, no, it's me. I'm the man. I'm the man that used to sit there begging all the time. And of course, they asked the question that we would ask, right? Well, how? How are your eyes open? He replied, here's what happened. The man they called Jesus, I'm sure some of you probably heard of him. You've heard the rumors. That man they called Jesus, he came, he made some mud, and he put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I did. I did as he asked. I went to Siloam and washed. It, it, even though it, it absolutely made no sense, I did what he asked me to do, and I washed. And then I could see. And of course, they're curious. Where is this man, they asked. And I love his answer. He said, I don't know. I couldn't see. Right? Like, how much more obvious can it get? Come on, Sherlock, are you paying attention? <clears throat> they, they were, then they did what they were supposed to do. When somebody in their community was healed or somebody in their community had um, uh, was kind of allowed back into society from being healed or from being re recovered from a disease, they would bring this person before the religious leader. So they brought this man to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. And at this point in the story, the music begins to change, right? The soundtrack shifts because he has done it again. 
Now the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Like, will he ever learn? According to their tradition of the elders, this is according to the, the oral Torah, not the written Torah, <clears throat> there were certain things you couldn't do on the Sabbath day. One of the things you couldn't do was you couldn't mix and, and you couldn't knead. And that's K-N-E-A-D. You couldn't knead. And, and Jesus, to heal this man, he spit in the dirt and he began to mix or to knead the dirt into mud and then put it on this man's eyes. So he, therefore he was guilty uh, of their their laws, not of God's laws. Don't, don't confuse that. He's not guilty of breaking a commandment from God. He's guilty of breaking their law. <clears throat> After all, they say you couldn't even practice medicine on the Sabbath unless it was to heal someone. So Jesus is guilty again of doing something, of working on the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees, when they found out what had happened, they asked him how, did he <clears throat> how he had received his sight. And he said, well, he put mud on my eyes. And the man replied, <clears throat> and I washed and, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man, <clears throat> talking about Jesus, he is not from God. Well, how do you know that? And they would say, well, isn't it obvious? For he does not keep the Sabbath. Technically speaking, right? He didn't, he didn't keep their version of the Sabbath. Technically speaking, he, he didn't break any of God's written law. But what had happened, let's not be too judgmental here. What really happened is that Jesus didn't fit into their little God box. Right? They, they, they had this idea of who God was and how God behaved. And Jesus didn't fit into that. And, and, and the truth is, for all of us, um, is that we all have kind of a God box, don't we? And Jesus is operating outside of the boundaries of their God box. Therefore, he cannot possibly be from God. But others who are hearing this, they ask a very important question. They're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, how can a sinner, right? If he's not from God, then he's like us and the rest of us are sinners. So how can a sinner perform such a sign? It's interesting that they don't even say miracle. How can they perform such a sign? So the, they were all divided. They then turn again to the man who's standing there. <clears throat> to the blind man. And they say, what do you say about him? Is he a sinner or isn't he? I mean, after all, he's the one who opened your eyes. And the man replied, and I love this. I don't know. Maybe he's a prophet. Now, some of the Pharisees still don't, didn't even believe that he had been blind and that he had received his sight, right? They, they thought that this was all a hoax. So they invite the man's parents in. They bring the man's parents. The man's parents are afraid because if you're getting called in to see the Pharisees on the Sabbath, you've probably done something seriously wrong. They, they, they confront the parents. Is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? And the parents respond, well, but, well, we know he's our son, right? The, the parents answer, well, we know that he was born blind, but, but how he can see now and who opened his eyes, we don't know. But, but here's the thing. Ask him. He's old enough to testify about it. He's old enough to, to stand before a, a, a judge and stand before court. Let him tell you what happened. And then John tells us that his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had, and, and here's what's really interesting. I think this is where some of us are in our own relationship with Jesus. They had already decided. They had already made their minds up. There wasn't enough room in their theology. There wasn't enough room in their worldview. There wasn't enough room in their God box for what was happening right before their eyes. They had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah will be put out of the synagogue, would be ostracized from their community, or a word that we might use is excommunicated from Judaism, from first century Judaism, from temple Judaism. The religious leaders, like some of us, if we're being completely honest, the religious leaders were the ones who were blind. They were actually blinded by their presuppositions. They were blinded by their assumptions. 
assumptions. Francis Collins, as we found out a few weeks ago, he referred to this as willful blindness. Right When there's something, <clears throat> there's something to see, but you won't look. When there's something to discover, but you won't take the time to discover it. This confirmation bias that only allows you to pull in information that, that, that you affirm, that you agree with, that confirms where you already stand. And anything that, that would come in that's contrary to that, it just kind of gets pushed to the side. It doesn't, it doesn't fit into your context. It doesn't fit into your worldview. It doesn't fit into your box. And if you're a Christian, or even if you're a, a non-Christian, this is what's happening. Jesus is doing something that didn't fit inside their God box. So a second time, they summon the man. Come back over here, they say. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. You know, we, we, okay, we, we've established now. You're blind. We talked to your parents. They said you're blind. But clearly something happened. Could, you know, and obviously Jesus had nothing to do with this because Jesus is a sinner and a sinner can't perform a sign. So therefore, give glory to God. Tell us that God did it. And he replies, whether he, referring to Jesus, is a sinner or not, I don't know. But, but, but this man, where he's coming from, is where I think a, a lot of us could be coming from. Look, guys, I, I don't know everything. right? I, I don't understand everything. I'm not a, a really brilliant guy. I, I can't explain everything that happens. But, but, but here's what I, what, what, I, what I kind of know. I don't have to understand everything to believe something. And the good news is, neither do you. And neither do I. And maybe this is what you're getting hung up on. You want to understand everything before you believe anything. And I, and I get this, but here's the thing. And I think this is something we have in common. Isn't it true that we don't hold the same standard in other areas of our life? And you might be saying, Jim, that's not true. Well, then let me ask you. Do you believe in love? Can you explain that to me? Do you believe in the conscious? Can you explain that to me? Do you believe in information? Can you explain information? See, the answer to all this is, well, not really. See, here's the great news. Because I know some of you, you'd love to come back to faith. But your brain won't, won't, won't let you. Your mind won't let you. Some of you, you know, you miss the songs and the energy and the, the, the community. But something happened. You, you, got, you got bumped out. And you're standing on the outside looking in thinking, okay, I miss some of that. But I've got to understand everything. Before I believe anything. And you don't hold yourself to that standard in any other arena of your life. And your heavenly father, guys, he's, he's way bigger than your God box. So let's just take a baby step. Let's believe something. And perhaps along the way, you'll understand more and more. The story continues. This young man, he's getting bold now, right? He's kind of fed up with this whole thing. He replies to their question, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But there is one thing I do know, and I love this next line. Here's what I know. And you can probably say this line with me. I was blind, but now I see. Hey guys, I don't get everything else that happened, but let me explain this to you one more time. I was blind, and now I see. And here's the incredible thing for many of you. And this is a story for millions and millions and millions of Christians. And I bet this is the story for some of you. You would say, I can't explain it all. I don't understand it all. But I know this. There was some, I was going through this season of my life. Right? I, was just, I was down. I was, I, I was depressed. I had kind of hit a wall. I'd gone as far as I could go. I, I was in this season of my life where I was controlled by an addiction. I was in this season of my life where I was so lonely that I was suicidal. 
And, and I was going through this season where, I, where there was just no other place to go. And, and I thought there was nothing left. And I got on my knees and I kind of cried out to God in desperation. And, and, and although I can't explain everything, I know this to be true. Something happened. And for some of you, it happened instantly. For others of you, it, it may have happened even gradually. But something happened. You were blind. And now you can see. And you'll never be the same. Then they ask him, right? They're still not done. They ask him, okay, so what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Right? They, they're just looking for more reasons not to believe. But this guy, he's, he's totally done with this line of questioning. He answered, I've told you already. Like, aren't you guys listening? Why do you want to hear this story again? And then he kind of gets right up in their faces. And I, I love this question. He's just being almost like sarcastic back to him. He says, well, is it because you guys want to become his disciples too? Is that why you need more information? Now the Pharisees ha had enough. They start hurling insults at him. And they say, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know for certain that God spoke to Moses. But as for this guy, we don't even know where he comes from. And now <clears throat> this blind man, he's all up in their face. And he, he has just the, the perfect response. The man answered, now this is truly remarkable. I mean, me being healed today, that, that's remarkable. But, but this, I mean, guys, there is something more remarkable than even that. You don't even know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Like, isn't it obvious? Isn't it obvious where he's come from? Isn't the evidence right before your eyes? How much more evidence do you need to know that he has come from God? Somebody who's not from God could not open the eyes of a blind man. He continues, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing like this. To which, of course, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. Or in other words, you deserve to be born blind. Your parents deserve to spend all of their extra time and money raising you and then being embarrassed by you because you became a beggar. You deserved exactly what you got. You were steeped and you were conceived in sin. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Willful blindness. Refusing to look, refusing to see what can be seen, refusing to discover what could be discovered, being too afraid to peer out, to peer beyond what we already know into the unknown. Like, let's be honest, that doesn't look good on any of us. And Christians, we're not immune to this either, are we? I mean, historically, we resisted science and we resisted people who, who weren't like us, people who didn't fit into our little box of what we thought was acceptable to God. I mean, doesn't our unwillingness to look beyond God make us <clears throat> look a little bit like the religious leaders in this story? And what happens on the other side of that journey for many of us is instead of expressing compassion, we express disdain. Right? right? For, for, we've done that for different generations, for different groups of people. This is, is <clears throat> when they came to church where we sing about God's mercy and grace, but we couldn't figure out how to show it to them because they didn't fit into our little God box. You see, if you've ever limited God to the God of a box, you've ultimately missed God. We should be the most curious, the most accommodating, the most accepting, the most loving, the most compassionate, the most open-minded people in any room we enter. We shouldn't be afraid to gaze past the frontiers of our knowledge, past the frontiers of our ignorance. We should be the most excited people about science. We should be the most excited about creating a, a context for people who are far from God to move toward God. And any step anyone takes towards God, whether it fits into our little box or not, we should be the most excited people 
anywhere. Even if they don't get the words right, even if they don't get the theology right, even if they don't pray right. And if we don't move beyond the God in a box, like the men in this story, here's the thing, and here's the great tragedy. We run the risk of missing God. The light of the world, the Savior of the universe, the Messiah, right before their eyes. And they missed him. Now, if you're not a Christian, here's the thing. But let me ask you a question. Have you looked? Are, are you too afraid to look? Are you curious? Have you looked lately? Have, have you closed the door on all religion? Have you closed the door on the concept of God? Have you closed the door on the fact that Jesus might in fact be who Jesus claimed to be? Have you closed the door on the concept of a physical, literal resurrection 2,000 years ago? And, and here's the question. Is that really wise? I know some of you. I know you're struggling. You're on the fence and, and you're teetering. Is it wise not to look? Is it wise not to, not to see? Is it wise not to discover? Is it possible that you have a God box? And that anything that doesn't immediately fit in, anything that doesn't immediately uh, um, align in, in, inside your box, you immediately discount. And perhaps that's why you walked away from faith long ago, or maybe even recently. Perhaps that's why you've never come back to faith. Perhaps that's why you never considered faith. You see, the truth is God is a whole lot bigger than our little itty-bitty boxes. Perhaps God was bigger than you thought he was. Perhaps God is even bigger than you were taught he was. You see, because I think you would agree with this. It's okay to be wrong. I mean, think about it. We're wrong a lot, aren't we? We're wrong about a lot of things. Now, if my wife were here, she would say, no, she's never wrong. But, but <laughs> the truth is we are. We're all wrong about some things, aren't we? I'm wrong about a lot of things. I mean, think back 10 years ago and you say, oh, I can't believe I believed that. I can't believe I said that. Think back 20 years ago if you have that kind of age on you. I mean, think back 100 years from now. We're going to look back and think, I can't believe we believed that. I can't believe we thought that. As a society, as a group of people, as, as a church, we're always proved wrong. It's okay to be wrong. And here's another thing. It's okay not to know because we're all learning. We're all curious. We're figuring this out as we go. But could we also agree to this? It's not okay. To not look if there's something there to be seen. And that's John's entire message throughout the gospel. It's, it's simply this. There is something you should see. If you had seen what I saw, if you had, if you had heard what I heard, I, I, I am convinced, he would say, and I think you would be convinced too. I am convinced, and, and my hope is that you would see, and that you would be convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, that you would believe that he is the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in his name. And here, here's what I think he would say. He would say, look, guys, I'm just a simple man, right? I'm a fisherman. I was minding my own business. And then Jesus came along. And I'm just a bystander. I had the privilege to live in the days when he was on planet Earth as the light of the world. And it was so unbelievably bright. And it was so much bigger and so much brighter than we ever thought it was. And then the biggest discovery of all, I think, would say is this. That Jesus so loved the world that he gave himself so that no one would ever be lost to God. And he would say, guys, that took, me, took us all by surprise. Because when he died, we assumed we had been fooled. We assumed we had been tricked. We assumed it was over. But here's the good news. Three days later, Three days later, he rose from the dead, and we realized he was exactly who he claimed to be. 
And oh my goodness, it was so much bigger and so much better than we ever thought even possible. The good news is this, you don't have to understand everything to believe something. So would you consider, would you consider the invitation that Jesus gave to us and that I think he's offering to you? Would you just look? Would you see? Would you discover? And perhaps one day, would you believe? For many of you, would you believe again? And would you join me back here next week for part six of Bystander? Let me pray for you before you go. Heavenly Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for another opportunity to look into your word, to see this incredible truth, God, to, to discover another sign that pointed in the direction of Jesus, that God, that, that, that substantiated his claim that he was who he said he was. God, I pray for those of us who are on the fence, those of us who are teetering, those of us who maybe question our faith or, or our idea of faith because the things we've heard don't, don't fit into our little God box. God, I pray you would shatter that box, that you would prove to them even again that you are so much bigger than that box. God, I pray that they would see the wisdom in what we discussed this morning. They would have the courage, God, to begin to look, to begin to discover, to begin to see that perhaps Jesus is who he said he was and Jesus is going to do what he promised he would do. And God, would that perhaps lead them on a road to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that in him we have life. I pray all these things, Lord, in your Son's name, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Journey, I love you. There's nothing you can do about it. Have a great week.